developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the Front 3. Adam Bold here alongside Lawrence McKenna. Hey, how you doing? And of course, the one and only Dave O'Brien. Welcome back. Here to talk about another exciting day at Euro 2016. Let's start with a big game, Lawrence. We just did it for TFR Live. Belgium 0, Italy 2. An underwhelming performance from Belgium and impressive from the Italians. Most people's analysis uh, today and I think over the past couple of days has been of the systems that coaches are trying to employ. And I think a lot of people were very sort of speculative um, about the way that Italy would turn out and what they could do with the sum of their parts. And I think a lot of people were quite positive about the way that Belgium were going to set up because they felt that this was something that was going to come to fruition, that all these players would sort of come through at the right time. You know, they'd, they'd not really done or sort of gone through the right motions to get to this place, but people somehow thought that Belgium would be the dark horse this tournament. I think they were hoping it was kind of heart overhead. And it hasn't really come together in the first game because it looks as if Mark Wilmot hasn't set them up in a way which is conducive to get them playing in any um, sort of system. Uh, but, but then I think they did come up against the hardest test that they're likely to face in the group stage, which is essentially a side that uh, have, a, have a history of uh, amazing defending, not necessarily counter-attacking, but definitely amazing defending. Um, and a side who had a point to prove uh, and a much harder point to prove than maybe the one that Belgium had set up. So what they mm. were up against was a team with a very strict and well set to remit, but also something that I think is maybe quite exciting for Italian football at the moment. And Dave, I don't know what you feel about this. You watch a lot more of Serie A than I do. But, uh, you know, in recent years, they've had an injection of excitement through becoming slightly more attacking and experimenting a bit more with, uh, you know, the way their coaches are setting up the championship teams and some of the teams lower down. And with the sort of changing culture in Italy, I think there's come an even better understanding of the defenders and those sort of things. I'm not saying they're going to go on and win the tournament and, and, you know, take it by storm, but I definitely think that there is a sort of a culture shift, which is, it's sort of, I think they've got something to prove, essentially, Italy. Yeah, I think that one of the big things that they have done, like you're saying, is that tactically they're the best, you know, the best team in the tournament already, you know, from what we've seen. How fluid they, did they classic. Look? Classic Italian, you know, defended very well. The movement was really good. It was so linked. It was all together. And I feel that that's what, um, you know, Italy always do well. And I think that it's it's such lazy journalism that people were quoting that Belgium 
were, were such favourites in the tournament without sort of, you know, looking at Serie A over the last two seasons, three seasons, how much it's improved. Obviously, like you mentioned, the tactical the tactical diversity with Allegri in there, Sari, two really good Italian managers that have that, you know, got two teams playing great footballs. Conte, obviously, but then obviously with the national team, a little bit different. But I just feel that this was always going to happen. Classic problems from Belgium. They, they have no fullbacks. How many times was there an you know, there was there someone with the ball, like probably just to the left or just to the right of the sort of the penalty area in that line and no overlapping fullback or no overlapping player it was so basic mm. so mm. basic Barry Eden Hazard as captain what the what are you doing well I mean you must but that's the problem really isn't it is that Tongan out of Israel I mean that, that's the issue though is that actually uh, you know a lot of people are very um, critical of Mark Wilmots and the way that he's setting up this team and you know I think uh, you know that the analysis beforehand was that you know there are some fantastic pieces here but maybe he's trying to fit some round pegs into square holes or vice versa and you know as much as we're talking about uh, maybe some of these people being underwhelming this season and maybe some huge figures missing from the Italian side at least with the Italian side they know what their roles are and actually what was amazing was when they pulled out to the whole pitch which maybe you don't always get the benefit of on TV you could see nine or at least 10 men moving in a really fluid formation. So skipping between a three at the back and a four at the back when they needed to, but in a Mm. much more fluid way than you'd see the Premier League. Definitely their midfield formation was incredible. I'd love to hear a bit more about that. I think we'll probably end up doing a video about that because it was just, I mean, the movement, it it looked so great. And then not only that, but the the strikers having this understanding when they broke of that they needed to get width and essentially attack you know the, the fullback areas like Dave said not only did they not have fullbacks that were overlapping that they didn't even, have, even seem to have fullbacks that gave them any defending width which mm. is unusual considering that they essentially played four central defenders <laughs> I mean, yeah, mental, saying, just I mean, yeah mental display but a very, very good display as well yeah. I think Italy are going to cause a lot of people problems I think if they just sort out Edda didn't think he was very good but another thing with the Italians is they just do the gamesmanship there is brilliant yeah. what was it three yellow cards that they stopped counter attacks with one of them was like a five on three break that yeah. Edda the striker came back and got booked and then got instantly substituted it was perfect you know, Chiellini picked up a lovely yellow card where he pulled someone back <laughs> Benucci did it's just this is clever football it's smart. Mm. It's something that England don't do. It's something that you wouldn't necessarily see someone like Gary Cahill or Chris Smalling do that. You'd see Gary Cahill probably get himself in a tangle and Chris Smalling fall over and not like bring someone down. But it's just that it, it's tactics that, you know, the Premier League, again, last season was very, very poor at. I think the one big thing that we're seeing as well is that the counter to this current pressing game style of football is a 3 5 2. And ultimately, the three-five-two. If anyone in the Premier League plays a three-five-two next season, they'll have a very good chance of winning the Premier League if they play it well. And obviously, Conte's there, so I think Chelsea are going to be really. Like, they're going to go under the radar next season, and I think they'll, you know, cause a lot of upsets. I think Conte will end up causing a lot of upsets. I think Dave's right. I don't know if consistently playing a three-five-two against every side will work, but definitely being able to shift between four and three at the back will be mm. incredible mm. next season. And, and Conte could- has shown what he can do there. You could see how much it meant to Buffon and the whole team, essentially, the end, when Pella scored that goal. Yeah, the substitutes all came on to celebrate. They sort of linked arms at the end to go to the crowd. And I think that's what Dave speaks to. This team had been written off, not just by uh, people in England and elsewhere, also in their own home country. You know, people were talking about how this was a country who weren't anywhere near the best teams we've seen from the Azuri uh, in years gone by. And yet Belgium, for all their talent, as Dave says, Mark Wilmots hasn't quite figured out a system to get the best out of them. Did you, um, 
Did you see the and end? It, it was playing a three-three-four, and it just yeah. had nothing. It's got through on the attackers. Uh, did, to, did you see? Search that goal. I think Mertens broke down the, the left-hand side and pulled the ball mm. back. There was four players forward, and none of them were in the penalty area or the penalty spot. Yeah, I, I did. I did sort what of end up feeling. What? I did end up feeling a bit like uh, Belgium has Norfolk. That they're they're incredibly good, and I think at the last tournament people were saying you know how great are all these individuals but a lot of them feel like and are definitely this sort of position in their uh their, their domestic team luxury players that doesn't mean mm. that they're necessarily you, you know the, the top of top but they're they're sort of considered that way and i think that when you put them all together then the, wilmot's needs to do something about the sum of those parts and that's what italy haven't done it feels like the group's been flipped on its head now. Obviously, everyone was talking about Belgium as, as Dave said, the favourites, not just for the tournament, um, but of course, the top of this group. Italy now um, sort of assumed that position. I mean, going into the next game, Dave, what do you think Belgium need to do uh, to try and get a more positive result against Sweden and Ireland? Um, well, I think Sweden are going to be very dogged. Sweden played reasonably well defensively they're quite poor going forward obviously Ireland should have won that game but they didn't so again Sweden's going to be a very tough uh, challenge for for Ireland and for Belgium sorry and if Belgium can can avoid getting broken on they'll you know they'll probably do all right but I think that's you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic if he can play other people's into play I think starting Gadetti's a must for for Sweden but I think they've they've, they've got to play Jordan Lukaku he has to play He's the only natural fullback that's decent in this squad. And he just has to play. If he doesn't play, then they're making a really, really, really big mistake. And playing, you know, Marouane Fellaini, I've seen him this season, seen him last season. <sighs> I just don't get it. You've got, um, you've got <laughs> Dembele's in there. Dembele on the bench, who's been incredible this year, apart from the eye gouge. He's had a wonderful campaign. And I just, I, I just, there's so many questions in for for Wilmots, and he's just getting all the wrong answers. At the Some, someone, uh, Chelsea FC, th- Chelsea thirty nine FC, messages and said one of Eden Hazard or KDB needs to be benched, uh, but who replaces them? And they were saying they don't, they lack leaders out there, um, and they said they love to hear our opinions on the podcast. It certainly is interesting uh, that they, the personality. I mean, the personality mix within this squad is certainly an interesting one, and that was the difference between. Uh, Italy again tonight because when you look at either end and s- someone else was saying this today I think it was Kartik Krishnan on Twitter said um, it, you know, if only some of the lower down teams were stacked with the goalkeepers that some of the higher up teams had we'd see maybe some slightly more um, even matches I mean tonight we had two of the best goalkeepers in the tournament and it was incredible but you see the difference between a really top end goalkeeper like Gigi Buffon who can organise his back line and has an organised back line in front of him and then Courtois, who's totally exposed at times by some of his back line. Um, it's really interesting to watch, especially the way that, uh, you know, for, for Italy's second goal, he was left in no man's land. Mm. I'd say that the finishing, the finishing, the one-on-one finishing has been very poor at the tournament. Yeah. Very, very, very poor. Lukaku's, you know, you, um, I mean, if, if, if that goal had gone in, Lukaku's shot was fantastic. And it, it was weird to see Italy exposed in such a way when Lukaku got through. But then Buffon came out really well, came out really quick, made a made, made himself a, big, yeah. made, you know, forced him into a, in a, an early decision. Um, I just, yeah, I think that some of these players need to just chill out in front of goal, calm mm. it down for a second, take a breath. What do, what do we make of the other game? Then obviously Republic of Ireland drawing one or with Sweden, as you said, Dave. Republic of Ireland sort of dominated the first half, created so many good chances, went close, eventually got the breakthrough. Um, through Houlihan, a wonderful half volley, beautifully struck. Um, but of course, Latam asserting himself on the game at the end, forcing a goal essentially with an assist with Kieran Clark heading into his own net. Do you think that was a, a deserved draw for Sweden? 
one of the things, oh, yeah, I think the island, again, like you said, didn't take their chances, and that's a big thing at that level. You've got to take your chances. I thought that the volley was really good. I thought Ireland played some quite nice stuff together, but just felt like Sweden were always in that game. They would, they never were not in, do you know what I mean? Like they always, I felt like defensively they were quite in control. Lindroth was, was pretty decent. Um, I thought the, the, the midfield stacked it in front of the back four quite well, but I think they need to get more out of Latan. Latan didn't have the greatest of games. He wasn't involved enough. They didn't like go direct to him enough. They didn't hit him enough. You know, I think with someone like Zlatan, um, yeah, he's used to playing for PSG that quite frankly play a very, very boring style of football that, don't necessarily get him involved uh, as much as they should do. You know, what I'd like to see Zlatan be, be hit early and then bring other people into play. And I definitely think that Marcus Berg needs to be dropped, definitely, for, for Gadetti. Gadetti was good. Gadetti played the pass to uh, Zlatan to play him through down the side. I feel that their link-up could be quite nice. But the problem with Gadetti is that he is a little bit of a nutter. Apparently, he kicked off with someone, had a fight with someone last week in, in Swiss, uh, Swedish training. So, you've got to control that, lad. You feel like a lot of optimism after that game for Ireland, despite dropping the points, Lawrence, and lots of positives to take. And after seeing Belgium falter so badly against Italy, they'll feel like maybe they can get a point, if not more, from that game against Belgium. I think for them it feels like a head they can take and a, a big set of players they can show the difference between the two. I think, though, it's very difficult. Um, you know, it, it's, it's obviously the case that Belgium will be frustrated by their own result. But tonight they looked at, like they had a lot less ideas than Ireland did. I guess that's the issue is that actually it's not like they're coming up against the back line. Um, yeah, essentially, you know, if Belgium sit deep, then uh, we, we might see the difficulty of having to break them down. And I wonder if Belgium are going to approach teams in different ways. I think I feel like they're almost slightly naive against Italy. Um, and that was a silly way to approach it, whereas I feel like they'd be less naive against the Swedish and the... Um, and the and the republic, so mm. it, it'll be interesting to see. I think tactically, I, I would expect Belgium to make some adaptations tonight. It, you know, when bringing in Divacarigi on, it, it it was a bit unusual because obviously he's a player with great talent, great ability, great pace, but he's also mm. one of those players who you sort of think the team almost need to be in their stride or doing particularly well to be able to bring him on. And again, it's almost like a luxury player for a luxury player. There's no one in there that can kind of dig in and sort of change a team. So. It's an interesting one. Can't help but feel it was two points dropped for Ireland, though. Um, would have been a, a momentous result. And it still does feel like quite a crunch game to decide how this group yeah. is going to finish up. Absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, if they can box out, if they that, that's the problem, though, is that actually they came up against Latan in the first game and they really cut him off well, like, like they've said. Mm. But it's going to be difficult to cut off so many players in the mm. other games. Um, does this change how you think the, the group's going to finish, Dave? Do you think it's going to end in a different order now? Uh, I had um, Italy number one, Sweden number two, and Belgium number three in our little preview. Um, wow. And Republic of Ireland bottom, and I still, still think that's exactly how it's going to face up. What do you reckon, Lawrence? Um, Change your mind at all? or I, That's what I'm, I, I still think that Belgium will probably not make light work, but I think they'll, they'll probably snatch enough just because, you know, if you're pegged in for long enough, I imagine that Belgium, and also I feel like Belgium feel a little bit like they... Um, I don't know, they're kind of crashing Italy's party in a sense. And so it felt that it, there's almost a complex at times, I feel, with Belgium. Whereas when they're playing someone like Sweden or someone like Ireland, they might feel a little bit like they want to flex. Um, and the systems aren't as complex. But I imagine that'll leave them for the taking. It's a bit David and Goliath, if you like. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful for, for Ireland, but it's not really a great result for them or for Sweden, really. Um, we'll see who finishes third. Uh, moving on the other game, 
Uh, today was, of course, Spain taking on the Czech Republic. Uh, Gerard Piquet scoring right at the death, essentially a late winning goal. Better late than never, Dave. Mm. Yeah, it was um, I, I, It was just a frustrating, again, going back to what I said previously, oh, Spain lack of identity. It was so, it's so like that. They like play like the Barcelona of old in midfield, you know, the intricacy of their passing. And then when they move to the final third, they just cross like Atletico Madrid. But they're playing Cesc Fabregas ahead of someone like Koke. Koke's got one of the best deliveries in open play in the world at the moment. He's so good at whipping the ball in from deep. When you're playing, uh, you know, a target man, a striker, whether it is Adderiz or Morata, you know, that's what you want. You need that in there, especially with David Silva coming inside. You want Koke to make that run from right central midfield overlapping him. And it just feels a bit, I don't know, it feels a bit, wrong for Spain at the moment feels that they're they're a bit lost and you know not having someone like Saul again quite you know could can be a very explosive player can make that difference in that final third it's just a I think it's it's going to be a bit of a shame for Spain that they are lacking a bit I was a bit disappointed with Nelito as well I thought he had a pretty poor game yeah Nelito um, looked um, physical but in the wrong sort of way he was looking to get into too many personal fights and didn't really benefit the system did he no, but I think someone like Andrew Andreas Iniesta again showed why he's the best central midfielder in world football. Absolutely fantastic. Completed 46 passes in the final third against Czech Republic, 13 more than, more than any other player. That assist that he got was wonderful. What was quite interesting in that little move as well is that Spain actually had people in the box, you know, playing this game where they are getting to the final third, then crossing. You know, they need people in the penalty area, and that wasn't happening. Um, but for the goal, there was. Um, they had PK, Ramos and Adderiz that's three really good targets for the penalty area so mm-hmm. a 4-4-2 could be a good option for Spain it really could playing maybe Morata and Elite up top if they are going to cross the ball inherently from, from wide areas it could be a good option to take them further in the tournament they'll definitely score more goals um, they didn't score again, a lot the in the first last game. games though did they? no they didn't and in the World Cup when they won it they didn't mm-hmm. score a lot of goals there either so it could just be classic Spain Adam. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, what, what is? I, th- I think there is uh, obviously that that's good for Spain that they can get through that uh, the one 0 I think you know essentially you know they need a result like that because I think the last game sort of raised serious questions. Over them. There will be a lot of questions in the Spanish press as to why they aren't dominating. Uh, I think a lot of people give them a lot of slack because they come from the Barcelona ilk and those sort of guys so they sort of expect them to be the same and they almost get they they live off the uh the lighter barcelona and Real Madrid, mm. I think. um feels like an important their book though um, book what book would you buy for them dave eat pray love the atletico madrid say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100 percent online You'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Book, which also has chapters on Villarreal and Sevilla. My God. Interesting. Interesting. It felt like an important win, though, in the, in the sense that... I felt that too, It yeah. was exactly two years to the day where they got absolutely hammered by uh, the Netherlands in the World Cup. And ever since then, there have been so many question marks over them. Obviously, they didn't answer all of them today, Dave. Um, but it felt like it was an important win for them. Um, they haven't really haven't really impressed since then. It has to be said in qualifying, of course, uh, recently in friendlies they've been beaten in. I mean, how far do you expect them to go into this tournament? I think they will just because of the quality they do have. You know, you look at the two centre-backs, the two full-backs, defensive midfielder... You know, and arguably the two central midfielders. This, you know, they've got a very, very good side there. But just, I do worry for the goals, and that's it. It's always been the question for Spain: is who's going to score yeah. the goals? Because Lionel Messi, unfortunately, is is Argentinian. If only. If someone, um, if someone, yeah, if someone had scored a goal first, that would have been frustrating, I think, for them. And I think that that's the mm. point where we'll see them tested in the competition: is if someone scores first, what does Spain then do? And also, mm. if you a think of, of it. The, the trends of, of the world of where we're going right now, it's going to a very direct counter-attacking pressing game. Spain is still stuck in 2014 where they dominated the world playing those intricate passing relays. So it feels that they've kind of fallen behind what's happened and they need to evolve again. But then that evolution could be you know, incredible. Let's finish uh, in the last 10 minutes on the latest situation with the sort of the fan violence, essentially. Because, yeah. Lawrence, obviously, uh, you did make the show yesterday and I was very interested to hear your thoughts on it. We were sort Moralising bollocks that you normally come out with, Lawrence. No, no. I, I just wanted to hear your take on it, essentially, because it does feel like... I was trying to say yesterday, it feels like a complicated situation and there's so many different reports coming out. You know, we've heard about the Marseille uh, ultras essentially attacking England fans, Russian fans attacking England fans, the, the, the criticism of organisation from UEFA in terms of the stewards in that stadium for England-Russia, you know, the organisation where England, Wales and Russia fans are all going to be in Lille now, this week, the way essentially that, you know, security and police have been firing tear gas, which has exacerbated the situation rather than help anything. Yeah. I mean, what have you made of everything? Because it's been quite shocking, some of the scenes we've seen. First of all, I think uh, the, o- the only real experience I can speak from is direct experience uh, with the Russian fans at Euro 2012 when... They rolled into Warsaw where I was and the mood changed completely. It went from a party atmosphere to a really sour kind of nationalistic. Um, it was it was pretty brutal. And they rolled into town, rolled out a TIFO at the game, which basically said, this is Russia. Um, and, uh, you know, basically made everyone else feel wholly uncomfortable. Uh, that, you know, obviously it was it was poor that Poland couldn't put on a performance then and now they sort of are, f- are feeling the effects of that, I think, in this tournament that they, or maybe have learned some of the lessons of that tournament. Um, uh, the, the issue, I think, for England fans is that England fans come with a reputation, 
which is the one of the 98s, uh, the, the one of the Chelsea fans that we see taped away, the one of, uh, you know, the Chelsea fans in Paris as well. Um, and I think a lot of fans sort of go with the idea of fighting them. You probably need to separate all three out and say France needs to deal, deal with their contingent. I think Dave made a good point that English police have got a lot of experience. There are some English police over there, but it feels like the French are set up and worried for other threats and maybe they feel a little bit like this is a threat that they shouldn't have to really worry about. I think that's part of the problem is that actually this seems like a threat that's surplus to requirements for this tournament. You know, France mm. is already worried about terrorism and I think that's a very valid, excuse me, a very valid concern because of what happened and because of, and I almost feel like it's childish and uh, selfish of the fans who are fighting to not look at those bigger issues that face Europe at the moment because that's a really divisive issue. Um, the chants that are going out there, you know, the Brexit chants, those sort of things, I think are, again, ridiculous. Um, and, you know, the kind of... Uh, from from my side, I, when I heard that England and Russia could be thrown out of the Euros, I thought, throw them out straight away. Go. Yeah. Because the second that you throw your team out, your, your fun's over, mate. Stop. Ruin it for everyone mm. and make sure that those fans realise that as soon as you start acting like a dickhead, because that's what you are, then you ruin, <laughs> you ruin, you, you ruin it for your entire nation. Do you not think you need to draw... Obviously, I'm not there, but based on the reports that we're hearing, there does seem to be no, mate, England, a difference. Yeah, 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 there is a massive difference between Russia and England and France yeah. and, and the French Obviously, and English the, the idiots getting pissed up in Marseille, yeah, but chanting songs is very different go, from... Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah, my what, point is, Adam, there's, it, it's on the same scale. You can't go in and get absolutely pissed off your face throw deck chairs around, do all those kind of things and not expect that that's going to look threatening within a town. I'm not saying they're on the same level. I think you should separate all mm. three out. And I obviously wasn't there, so I can't speak from first-hand experience. But it, the fact is that England don't have a fantastic travelling reputation at tournaments. And you need to act as such because you're uh, a representation of what your country is abroad. And maybe you shouldn't put that kind of um, uh, responsibility on fans, but the fact is that other fans manage to act perfectly responsibly. So why can't England fans? Um, and uh, uh, Russia is another another level of bollocks. Uh, you know, we can't even get yeah. into that because those guys That's are wandering around with far-right um, uh, sympathisers and, and activists. Those guys are nuts. Like, as far as... Uh, <laughs> You, you know, Listen. like uh, we we can't. You know, if we say anything about Putin or anything else, then obviously we're attracting our own difficulties to the podcast. But the fact is that Russia <laughs> and the way that they deal with things is completely unacceptable in in, in a Western European uh, area. You know, they're acting in an aggressive, definitely right wing um, mm. and an ultimately divisive way, which goes completely against. Um, any kind of sportsmanship or, or gamesmanship that, that we might see. And that's the point is that actually it's sporting off the field and off uh, on the field that, that's important here. And, you know, I know it's that French. we sound like a moralising Englishman, but, um, you know, Russia are a scary fucking country and we need to be put in serious... <laughs> we, no, I'm serious. We need to be put in serious doubt. And we, need to, <laughs> we need to be put in serious doubt over the fact that we're staging and choosing to stage yeah, a, a tournament in bizarre. one of the most openly aggressive countries in Europe and almost endorsing the way that they treat other people by not questioning those things and not saying to them, this is a really serious problem. Mm. Um, and, you know... Uh, th there are so many layers to this. I mean, uh, has anyone seen the the sun tomorrow and Murdoch and all those sorts of things? 
no, go on. Uh, so the sun, the sun tomorrow is is basically say is basically encouraging people to exit Europe. Um, and <laughs> what Murdoch has essentially said is that the reason he doesn't um, want want uh, it doesn't want to be in the EU anymore is because he can't influence it because no one in their centres listens to him. And I think the, we, we're going to have the same issue in football if we do ultimately exit Europe, is that England is going to become more and more ostracised. And actually what was a country that felt like it once moral, was so moral and was leading the world, which, by the way, it never was because it was raping and pillaging everyone else's countries, is now a country which is what it believes to be a shadow of its former self, which it never was. So ultimately, I think a lot of people need to face up to the fact that England is a, is a very dislikable country, the way they've acted to other people, and that these are a lot of their chickens coming home to roost, and that actually it's a very hard pill to swallow right now, because Britain likes to see itself as the hero of Europe, and actually it's full of shit, and it's, it's, and, um, and it, it's really, it's, it's fucked itself, essentially. And it's it, a weird Britain situation. needs to face that. It is a weird situation though, the, with Russia, though, because obviously... It is a small minority of England fans who, who may be causing trouble, but it does feel like the Russians are a different level and the French prosecutors have sort of come out today and say it's 150 hardcore, tooled-up ultras who are sort of, you know, uh, causing all this trouble and, and causing this violence. And then you have... Uh, then tell me why today. Alexander Shipragin, if I'm saying his name right, don't really care mm. if I am or not, he's a far-right racist, apparently is a holding official accreditation with Russia's entourage for the tournament. Yeah, this sort of stuff. And we've got... Igor Lebedev, who's the, who sits on the executive committee of the, of the Russian Football Union, he's come out and said, oh, I don't see anything <laughs> wrong with the fans fighting. Quite the opposite. Well done, lads. Keep it up. Um, I don't understand but, those politicians and officials who are criticising our fans. We should defend them, and then we can sort it out when they come home. I mean, sensible. it's even weirder that you see a Russian state TV, and I'm not saying it's all of them, but essentially, you know, if you say Russian state TV, you mean Vladimir Putin's personal entourage, um, saying things like the... They beat up the the drunk islanders, which is talking about the Brits. Now, that's not um, an inaccurate representation of English people when they grow abroad, but it <laughs> is sort of. It, it, I mean, it's just unusual that you'd see that kind of reporting. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, even the the widely shared uh, news report that people are saying is really well done by that news reporter. Uh, you know the one where he's sort of standing in the middle of all of the, um, I think the it's Zier, around him, standing yeah. in, in the middle of all the fights. Um, there's one where he says that the French police were forced to use tear gas, or it, it was something along those lines. Were, were made to use tear gas. I feel a little bit like that's not the case either. Um, no one seems to have dealt with this particularly well, but everyone seems to be looking for the party who is right. And actually, I feel like everyone was yeah, underprepared for this. Exactly. Russia's underprepared for it. The FA in England is definitely not briefed other police correctly. Um, uh, they've come out on the offensive. Greg Dyke's letter, is, uh, whilst it has a good sentiment, is uh, the horse already bolted, mate. What are you doing? And then, hmm. uh, I, not that I know any better, but you know, that's just an observation. I think the scheduling as well. We, there's been a lot of criticism for for scheduling these these games at these times. You know, having the Russia game in the evening, uh, giving plenty of opportunity for everyone to get uh, get a few drinks down them essentially, and and get in that sort of mood. Whoa, but it does whoa. seem. I think I think I think highlighting drinking as as a, as an issue as like a, a cause for the these people punching each other is a bit crazy. Adam, I was in I was in Lille. I had loads of beers. I didn't throw a single chair. You didn't punch anyone. No, I but I think it just punch anyone it, didn't not, throw a single chair. It doesn't exactly, but it doesn't exactly help the situation. Surely. No, no, I agree. I was just being a bit of a joker. Sorry. Adam. Oh, I thought you Adam, were going to get involved. Adam, um, mute, Dave. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> just me. I mean, and what's even um, worse? Can I give you one more quote on Lebedev? Yeah, go ahead because there's some can funny quotes. Quote, those it's, those it's crazy those bloody Russians. Um, he yeah, said, bloody. let me try and find out. In nine out of ten cases, football fans go to games to fight. And that's normal. The lads defended the honour of their country and did not let English fans desecrate our motherland. We should forgive and understand our fans. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. You crazy, um, crazy man. Like you say, you everyone's in the wrong. Russians, uh, <laughs> the Russians are in the wrong quite a lot. Um, but I think, yeah, it's fair to say that there's certain organisational issues uh, on all sides, uh, UEFA and the French police aside. Again, though, um, we're staging, that, that we're staging a, a competition here in a, in two years' time, guys. This is yeah. fucking worrying. That is going to end well, isn't it? Um, shall we have? Shall we have uh, a brief look ahead to tomorrow's games? Uh, we've got Austria-Hungary coming up first off, I believe. Um, Tomorrow. That's going to be a good uh, one. That, that's a, somewhat of a derby. Um, and also, obviously, yeah. a quality side in Austria to go out there and see. Maybe not so much with Hungary, but, um, you know, it's, it's exciting to see what Austria can do. And Portugal v Iceland, Dave. Mm, that should be good. No strikers for Portugal. It'll be interesting to see their system. We talked about that before. Two wingers playing up front and then four central midfielders. So, yeah, that's going to be a, uh, an interesting game. Guys, let us know your thoughts on the Euros so far on Twitter at the front three with the number, not the word. Uh, get involved on TFR Live as well on the Football Republic. Myself and Lawrence are on there this evening. I believe me and Dave are going to be on Thursday. I think Lawrence may be on there on, on Friday or Saturday. So do come and have a watch of our live streams, our watch-alongs. We've, we've for got, now, and, though, and Don't forget, throughout the day, you can get your questions to us on Twitter and we'll bring those ones back. Um, oh, yes. Because there's a lot of questions coming in that we sort of need to address at some point. Um, for now, though. Lawrence, uh, a pleasure to have you on the, the podcast and, and get your thoughts on all the, the craziness that was unfolding over the weekend. Uh, where can the good people find you if they want to find more of your work? Go on YouTube and type in Dave Talks and you'll bring up a fantastic YouTube channel where yes. I, I sit there and analyse uh, what Mourinho <laughs> will do next season at United through beautiful yes. formations. Lovely stuff. Um, I'm going to say the same thing. I uh, I occasionally on there. I put on a, a blonde wig, you know, and a wonderful <laughs> uh, mess of hair there, and sit in front of a. No, well, it used to be in Stratford, didn't it? Not anymore. Um, it used to be, yeah. You, yeah. Go and go and check out Dave Talks. It's a wonderful channel. And check out my analysis of uh, how Mourinho is going to set up United. Now, ten thousand views and uh, great analysis. Uh, Dave, where can people find you? Um, I'm usually in South Hackney. Um, I spend a bit of time at my house near the park. Lovely. Yeah, I occasionally sleep. Not that much at the moment, but you know, yeah. it's all great. But if you go onto Twitter, I think the front three <laughs> Twitter account needs a follow yeah. if you haven't already. But you know, that is that's life. Like that is Get life. Can I say something that's just, that's just dawned on me? Is that actually uh, whilst we do kind of mock the Russians, uh, and you know, yeah. we we do find them incredibly scary. There is something uh, quite tragic about the whole situation that these are kind of these people are uh, sort of very focused, very kind of um, dedicated people to a national cause. And there's something very obviously to respect about the fact that people get behind a cause. But can we at all say there's almost a tragedy that there's such misspent energy from the Russian side that obviously they're defending their national honor and those kind of things and. I, I find nationalism a bit outdated, but you know, to some extent, I can respect when someone feels that way. Um, not 
to a right wing you know you get what i mean what i'm saying is it feels a little bit misspent and i feel almost slightly sorry for these confused russian fans i know that sounds because well, they're almost sort of indoctrinated it, because of the indoctrination and, and um you know I, I obviously see i see where the world's going we kind of see that there there is a lot of different nas- uh, ideas at odds with each other but from what we see in the analysis of russian media and the analysis of the way that russians portray other people to their own people and vice versa I think, you know, not all Russian people are scary people. I'm sure there's a reason why, you know, a lot of people want to go and host things there. Uh, obviously, the ridiculous part is also how flagrantly Russia... Uh, maybe I actually shouldn't say that. How flagrantly yeah, yeah. Russia... How it's flagrantly just, th- bad things have happened at tournaments where those sort of things have been going on. Um, and I, I, I feel when... sorry for the Russian people who genuinely are interested in football and want to go out and and enjoy the game and they can't because yeah, there, there because were 10,000 Russian fans at that England game obviously 150 are the ones that the, the French authorities are saying the ones that are troublemakers it's just so disheartening when you see people in power in the Russian government and institutions who just sort of fuel this behavior and almost condone it it's just sad. to be fair it is sad. I mean it's it's almost ridiculous for English people to be saying that because at the very same time England fans were chanting about Brexit and those sort of things. But, but that's I mean, not the, it's not the same. No, but it is, because it, to a sense, it's indoctrination. People no. are being lied to by the media and Murdoch and those kind of guys. And that, that's ultimately very worrying. I'm not saying I think the, the scale same and the consequences and the, the what's at stake is not the same almost but what's at stake is a very is a, is a way of life i think or, or, i mean people, in terms people, of people you haven't got 150 friends. english fans going around trying uh, as best they can to you know beat up english fans that was yeah. the express purpose I mean, of these if, these russian fans yeah, i mean if you're putting a gum shield in before you fight someone else there's a there, you know you've taken that deliberately by that point you don't just carry <laughs> a gum shield on the off chance you know that, that a game of rugby breaks yeah, yeah, out. I do. At a football tournament, you know, <laughs> that's unusual behaviour. Anyone carrying a gum shield, sort of in just in your pocket at any one time, you need to assess what's going on in your life. They're Serious issue. They're ready for a scrap. Yeah. Um, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at the front three. Until tomorrow, have a wonderful day. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Boo! 